the client's going to come to you, right, with here's what we want to do. And that sometimes your job is to, you know, like kind of put the mirror in front of them and say, really? Is that really what you want to do? And reframe it. So, so you're joining us from the Team W, and Correct. let me introduce you officially. I'm speaking with Susan Weinschenk. She's the co-owner of the Team W. Can you tell me a little bit what you do? You're a service-oriented company that provides UX research and behavioral design. Uh, could you elaborate on that a little bit or correct me if I'm wrong? No, that that's accurate. So um, we do consulting and training and uh, produce a lot of content in the area of user experience, but also because I have a PhD in psychology and my business partner, who's also my son, has an economics mm. degree and specializes in behavioral economics. So we like to combine behavioral science, what we know about humans and how they think and how they behave with design. So how do you design a product or service so that it fits the people that have to use it, but also that you can encourage them to take particular actions. So behavioral design. That's a very interesting field and fraught with many questions right now where, you know, there's a lot of conversations. Some of my friends who are part of uh, producing a movie called The Social Dilemma uh, a lot of what they talk about, there's there's a whole AI and algorithm side of it, but another yes. side of it is how you design systems for people to interact with. And there's the dark pattern designs that, yep. you know, get you to accidentally opt into a bunch of things you didn't want. And then there's light pattern designs, which brings people delight and has them joyfully engage with your product in a non-addictive way that's helping them meet their needs and good for your business. I'm curious to hear from you about how you how you're experiencing that kind of that space right now and those kinds of questions. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we have, um, we've been working in this, in this area for several years. So we've been looking at and thinking about this question, which we call ethics and design It's kind of a label we've used for it. And we have keynote talks and we actually have um, an entire online video certificate you can earn in ethics. Uh, so it's something that we do think of a lot. And I think, you know, we've tried to come up with some different ways of thinking about this question, um, about, you know, what's ethical and what's not, what's good and what's not, where do we want to head with this? And also, if you are just a regular, ordinary person at a company, like you're not the CEO of some large corporation or even a small corporation, you know, is there anything that you can do as, for instance, a designer of some kind? Is there anything that you can do to uh, nudge the organization you're in towards a, a more ethical use of, of all of these ideas and all of this technology? So, it's something that we think about a lot and obviously something that right now is very much in the news. And it's interesting because between us, I take, you know, I, I'm a psychologist. I've been studying how people behave and um, the behavior that's tied to how the brain works. 
And I tend to be a glass half empty kind of person. You know, mm. I tend to be, well, this is what humans do. You know, I, I, I don't get real optimistic about our ability to uh, avoid problems with this, with, with everything we create. And uh, my partner, Guthrie, is uh, an optimist <laughs> and a glass half full kind of person. And he's like, if we put enough systems in place in the right way, we can we can manage this and we can change it. So mm-hmm. I kind of don't totally agree on it, but we do agree that it's an interesting question and becoming even more, I don't know, dire, important um, as the technology that we design becomes more powerful. You know, basically mm-hmm. my viewpoint is technology is reflecting us. And we build into it kind of where we're at. And so that's why I say I'm not surprised that we're struggling right now with having built stuff that doesn't seem to always be the light side of what you mentioned. You know, that we're building stuff that is kind of inching us towards the dark side. doesn't surprise me. I'm concerned about it. I'd like to not have that happen. But, you know, we create technology for us to do the things we want to do and if the technology is getting dark you know back on us about that right right yeah susan i'm curious because brett mentioned the the social dilemma and we're actually recording this um uh a few days after you know this facebook whistleblower has uh, testified on congress about some of these kind of uh, uh very same issues and, um, you know, also a day after the first, you know, big outage I can remember with of Facebook, um, not that that's necessarily important here, but I'm curious, like how, how much responsibility does the, the company, you know, does a company need to take for, you know, what, you know, what, what you've said is like a reflection of just human nature. Like, so in Facebook's instance, you know, they're, they've got research that says, you know, that they're platform is you know not necessarily the the greatest thing in the world for teenage girls or you know whatever um you know but they're optimizing algorithms for engagement and that seems to be like the side effect of that when you know us as humans prefer to engage with um incendiary con- content so you know if you're building a business how should you take it that into it, uh, account yeah, I think that I think the business or organization is totally responsible for taking that into account. I don't think they're naive about it. I, you know, maybe they maybe they kind of st- not just Facebook, but any company. It's certainly possible that you stumble into, uh, oh my gosh, look at this! This is really successful. We didn't realize it was going to be so successful. I think for many of these companies, they didn't stumble into it. They built it on purpose to be engaging, to grab attention. And they knew early on that, I mean, we all know that uh, technology is used for things that probably aren't very healthy for people or for some people or exploit other people. I mean, that's, that it's not possible that that's a surprise, but I think they, 
a lot of companies, I mean, I remember I was just having this conversation with my partner, business partner today, as I was remembering, I believe the year was probably something like 2017. And we were at a conference in San Francisco. Uh, We were speaking there. And also on the docket was someone actually from Facebook who was talking about some of the work that they were doing, you know, and uh, not, not on this topic of ethics or anything like that, but just something that they were building. And as she was talking, she was saying, you know, the mission of Facebook it is, I, I mean, I, this don't quote me word for word, but it was something like, you know, to make the world a better place by connecting people together or some, you know, it was like something like that. And, and uh, Guthrie and I turned to each other, you know, and just kind of shook our head and we were writing notes, you know, cause the talk was going on. So we passed notes to each other. We were terrible. We do that during all talks. So we were passing notes and, you know, the notes we were going back and forth was, does she really believe this? Does anyone in the audience really believe this? Because the goal of Facebook is to make money. You know, I mean, it's like, really? Did she works there? Does she really think the goal of Facebook is to make the world a better place? Because I'm not buying it. But I think maybe people buy it. I think yeah. it, you know, it's it's very powerful. Um, you can easily condition people to pay attention and you can you know we know what are the things that grab attention we know what are the things that create a habit-based engagement and you know that's the and and, and an algorithm is going to optimize that um, let's not forget what the first use of Facebook was before it was called Facebook when Zuckerberg created it, it was done to rate how hot women women were on campus. So why we would be surprised that now it's being used uh, in ways that have to do with, you know, young women and girls and their body image. Uh, It's like, well, pessimist here. That's created for and that's that's a great example of what you mentioned earlier of sort of the the consciousness of the builders being projected into the product. You know, it started as how hot are women on campus, and now the some of the largest populations of people having issues with the platform are women and self-image. It's not an accident. Uh, well, I mean, accident. It's not an unexpected consequence really right. of that kind right. of motivation. And something else that you pointed to of you know, do do they really believe what they're saying? I think it's actually very possible for the founder of a business to, for egoic reasons, believe in the positive spin, believe all the positive spin that they have on what they're doing, and also justify sidelining that true goal for revenue because they believe that they need that revenue or they need that reach or they need to have a monopoly on the market in order to eventually implement the positive right. side of what they see. And they're right. always in that kind of treadmill game against what the short-term gain needs are to have the company become powerful and maintain its its dominance in the space yeah. and also address the human needs that reduce its profits. And to bring this back into 
into how you work. I'm curious how, <laughs> you know, you, you guys provide provide services to companies who hire you to explore these, explore a lot of different UX challenges. And you had mentioned earlier something about how how can an individual inside a system where the system's incentives, such as Facebook's with you know, MSI and uh, social engagement being something that's tied to individuals' bonuses, making it difficult financially to even change from the top down. Uh, how do you approach that from the way that you do business with with people, uh, with companies, helping them from the perspective of solving the question that they came to you thinking that they had, and helping them rethink that problem from the early, like from the first principles to do so in such a way that feels ethically comfortable for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It makes me think that you've been in the service business before because this, this idea that the client's going to come to you, right, with here's what we want to do, and that sometimes your job is to, you know, like kind of put the mirror in front of them and say, really? Is that really what you want to do? And reframe it. Um, and... You know, it, it really varies a lot about how um, open the client is to that reframing. You know, I have to say that most of the time, really, like 98% of the time, uh, the people that come to us and want our help, the behavioral change that they are looking for is either definitely, you know, would be on the uh, white hat side of it, right? The, the change they want they're, they're hoping to get people to uh, click on this and learn more about a charitable cause and, and see how they might volunteer or donate to their favorite charitable cause, right? That seems pretty, pretty good thing. Uh, so most of the time, the work that we're doing is either just outright not an ethical problem, or it's, it's perhaps not that... Um, that high-minded, but it doesn't, you know, in our view, it's not going to cause any harm. You know, can we get people to pay attention to, um, you know, this product or this service over here to notice it? We want to make sure they notice it. It's a very few times, and but there have been a few. And I can think actually, and we've been doing this behavioral design work this way for maybe about 10 or 12 years, I've had three cases where um, I was like, uh-uh, <laughs> you know, and it, either I had to, in one case, I had, I listened to the client and then I had to look at them and say, you do understand that what you asked if we could do is actually not only unethical, but according to the FTC is illegal. Like, are you aware of that? That was the most extreme one. And they were like, what? <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh my goodness. So uh, I had to talk to them about that. In in another case, I just deemed it uh, just kind of mildly unethical. I mean, it was gonna be extremely annoying to the target audience. And it was like, I'm not going to help you design something that I know is going to annoy people. And you shouldn't do it either. But, you know, he, they had a very particular reason why they wanted to do it. And then in another case, uh, it was a situation where um, we 
both Guthrie and I really felt that if we helped the client do what they wanted, they were actually going to put large numbers of people, like potentially millions of people, uh, at risk for uh, accruing financial debt that they couldn't, uh, probably couldn't afford to accrue and weren't really, wasn't really mm-hmm. clear that they were accruing it, that what they were signing up for. And with that one, again, we just, we pointed out to them our view of what was going on. Um, and, you know, pretty much just said, very nicely, didn't come out and accuse them, but very nicely said, it looks to us as though this is what you're trying to do. And if that's what you're trying to do, you know, we we believe that's unethical and, and we won't be able to work on it. Um, and shortly after that, uh, we never heard from them again. And this was a large financial company, international, that we had done work with for about two months before that. But the work we'd done up to that point we that we hadn't had a problem with. So there are times when we, you know, very few times, luckily, where we've had to walk away. And when we do that, you know, we let them know where we think the problem is. And I'm not sure, totally sure what happens after that, you know, because uh, I don't always, you know, they don't, they don't always come back to us after that. And I don't know if they rethought it. I don't know if they went ahead with it. Uh, you know, I'm not right. sure of it. Well, you gave them the feedback that you that you had for them, and they did what they did with it. And, and they you did what they did with it. Engaged or not engaged, based on what felt good for you. Yeah, we won't. I mean, Guthrie and I will not do work that we consider is unethical or has the possibility of of harming people. And you know, we Guthrie actually put together um, a really interesting and complicated formula. Um, I I can send you the url for it i think it's called ethical ethical formula is it probably dot com um and it is a uh and he talks about this in his course but it is a way of actually making some decisions and plugging in some numbers and it will tell you how ethical is this product or service that you are considering um and you know our take on it is Hey, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, the idea whether something is ethical doesn't have to be mysterious, doesn't have to be, you know, based on, you know, anybody's religion or even philosophy, right? You can ask questions about the level of harm that this is likely to do to certain populations or audiences. And based on that, you can, you know, there's, you'll get a number. Now, now you mm. decide what do you want to do with that? Do you want to right. move ahead or not? Which of course assumes a utilitarian framing of ethics and people have been arguing about how to frame ethics to begin with for thousands of years. Yeah. Well, and, it's, we, it's, and, and we cover that in the chorus. <laughs> interesting. Because <laughs> you, you are right. That is absolutely what it, you know, what you, where you end up, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me, the idea that you could punch a bunch of numbers into a calculator and compute an ethics score. And there are many cases I imagine that that's very useful because otherwise you could just be like, meh, it's incalculable. We'll just move forward because it's better for the company's bottom right. line. We can't figure that out. So let's not worry about it. Right? Yeah. And then the failure mode I could see is, you know, there's a lot of things that don't fit into numbers and 
if there's something that's there could be something that's glaringly obviously unethical, but if it fits the numbers, then good, we have the green light. Yeah. So you still have to be watching. You absolutely have to be watching. And the formula forces you to to think about the value and the harm. So you Mm -hmm. can't just plug the net. You got to have a conversation about what's really going on in order to use the formula. So you you can't really hide it. But I think if you were trying to hide it, you just wouldn't use the formula. Right. Yeah. Let's not look at it. Right. Let's just pretend it's not there. Yeah. Or you just might use it on your website to uh, convince to say, the world and spin it a different right. way. You're a yeah. pessimist. <laughs> I, I like to be both. I like to flip from one to the other and, you know, look at the cup in any way that I can. So another question that I'm curious about, you, you mentioned, first of all, that your co-founder is your son. And that's fascinating to me. (laughs) Secondly, you're in a service-oriented business just like us. You do staff augmentation just like us. And many of the people that I talk to are, uh, you know, they're product companies and they've raised VC funding. And that's a different kind of thing than what we do. So I'm curious to hear your experience on, you can pick one of these directions or maybe they both dovetail somewhat. Being a mother-son founding team, first of all, and then second of all, growing from zero to one, and building a services business without sacrificing any of the ethics and also picking the kinds of work that works for you when you have whatever starting point you had as far as a portfolio or uh, you know client book. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll, I'll talk to both of those uh, in a way. I mean, I have had various versions of a service business for a really long time. And, you know, we're the Team W now. I've been doing this work for a long time, not under always under the name of Team W. The Team W officially started in 2015. But before that, I was I was doing this work, just, uh, you know, other versions of having my own company. I did work for other, other people for uh, some part of my career, but I would say most of my career has been having my own business. I pretty much make a pretty poor employee. Uh, I want to do things my way. I have my own ideas. uh, And so I'm much better. I'm much happier in the world uh, having my own business. And uh, back in in the mid-2000s, my son, who uh, graduated with a degree in economics, he went to work for... um, uh, a logistics company in Chicago. Then he decided to go to law school and he became uh, a licensed attorney in the state of Illinois. And during his law work, he had um, he worked for me part-time. He actually, uh, I, I've always, always been a small company. There have been points at which I grew it a little bit bigger and I never wanted to grow it big. I didn't want to give up control and I really don't like managing stuff. <laughs> I like doing the fun work. And mm. if you're going to get big, to me, my experience, not being actually really a business person, right? I have a PhD in psychology. My experience was if we get big, I end up doing the business stuff that I don't love. And if we're going to really get big, I'm going to need to get some more money 
and then I'm going to have to give up control. And I'm a control freak. So I always kept it really small. My son came to me uh, when he was in law school and said, I need to get a part-time job and I have a proposal for you to have a part-time job working for you in your business. And my response was absolutely not. Uh, we're not going to do that. You know, we had a deal that I would pay for the undergraduate college education and room and board for both my children. But once they got their undergraduate degree, they were on their own. And if they did any more schooling, they were on their own and they could come home uh, and live in the house with us uh, rent free for three months. And after that, they had to start paying rent and room and board. So I was a, you know, you're cut loose, you're on your own. And I said to him, if I, if you work for me part time, you're not on your own. So the answer is no. And he said, well, I have another proposal. And he brings out like spreadsheets and diagrams and shows that I only have to pay him a percentage of the increase in the revenue. Yeah, this is an economic, he just got an economics degree, like you can tell. So he, you know, I said, but according to your, to your plan, if it doesn't work out, you make nothing. And he's like, that's right. So I said, okay, sure. Come on board and help me out. And, and it actually worked out and I made more money and he made money. So we did that while he was in law school. And then when he was graduating, I said, oh, I'm going to lose you now I've, three years. You've been helping me out part-time. It's been great. I'm sorry to lose you. What are you going to do next? And he said, oh, I have another proposal. And that was to come join the company as a full partner. And, wow. and that was like, what? You just got a law degree. Why do you want to do this? But it has been such a wonderful thing. Um, I think I think he thinks it's wonderful. He's still doing it six years later. Uh, I It's been great for the business. He has a really good business head. And so he got to tackle, you know, all those things and really help steer us. Uh, I have a tendency to um, follow the shine, bright, shiny objects, right? Oh, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And then not complete a lot. And he absolutely keeps me on track with completing things before mm -hmm. we move on to something new. So it's been a good partnership, but we've still kept, we've still kept very small. He, I believe, would like to grow this bigger. Uh, and to be honest, I think he's kind of waiting for when I decide to step back a little, which he's anticipating will happen uh, at some point. And then he'll, you know, really take over even more. I mean, he's already the the COO, but um, and and he may he may grow it much larger when when he's really when I've when I kind of back away and spend more time composing music, which is what I do when I'm not working. Uh, but it's yeah. been a it's been a wonderful combination uh, for any of people listening that have a toddler. And you can't imagine that you're ever going to be in business with them. You kind of never know what's going to happen. I would not have not have predicted this at all. Yeah, the the family dynamics here and the symmetries are just. There's so many to go into. I don't even know where to start, and we're coming close to the, the end here of our time. <laughs> but something that I'm really curious about is this this thing you just mentioned about the the feeling of letting go of control and stepping back. That's something you have undoubtedly already experienced numerous times with your son 
raising him, stepping back, letting go of the the helicopter, backing away and letting him be himself. And you must have done an amazing job of that for him to choose to be himself in the business that you, you know, that, that you're allowing him, you know, you initially had this like resistance, but he sold you on bringing him in (laughs) and he sold you on it again. And I'm just in awe of the mother son dynamic at play there. And for my final question for you, what is the, what is the most challenging aspect of your mother son dynamic that you've had to encounter in this process? And what's, I guess, part two of the question is what's the scariest thing about letting go of control? Oh, well, the, 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 maybe the toughest thing about doing it. Um, there isn't really much that's been tough. It really has been a total joy, uh, to work, to work together. Honestly, the toughest thing is possibly that I feel, uh, I lean on him too much. You know, if I had anyone else as a business partner, that wasn't him, I'd, you know, I'd probably just tough things out if I was having a hard time. And, uh, he's so, uh, he's such a nice person and so capable, you know, I lean on him and what, I mean, I, in the last year, uh, I have been going through a uh, cancer treatment. So I've, I've gone through uh, a whole world changing event for me, hmm. of f- discovering that I had cancer and needing treatment yeah, wow. and keeping the business going. And, um, <laughs> I actually, I've worked more in the last year than I ever have. I worked a lot during all of that and I leaned on him so much in so many ways and the mo- that was difficult for me because I felt like I was, it was too hard. It was too much. I felt, you know, as a parent, you feel your job is to protect your children from harm and from difficulty. And I felt like I was putting more difficulty on him. And uh, I wasn't happy about that. That was a struggle for me. In terms about control, oh my goodness, just ask him sometime. You should interview him. Is your mother a control freak? You know, it's like, yes. Um, it's I struggle with, with the whole thing of control. And all I can say is uh, I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm investigating it. I'm experimenting with it. It's not an easy thing for me to, to let go and, and give up control. And uh, I, it's, it's been useful to have a partner in business, you know, even my son or anyone else, right? Because I didn't for most of my career. I was solo. I had employees, but not a business partner. And it's really helpful to, you know, it's like y- you experiment, you let somebody else handle it you discover they do it better than you do <laughs> what have done it. And then you go, Oh, I guess maybe I should give up some more control. And that's what's <laughs> happened. You know, it's like, yeah, wait a minute. I, this person can probably do it as good as or better than I can. I'm going to let that go. Um, so I, you just practice it. What can I say? I try to practice giving up control. I need a lot more practice. Hmm. Well, I'm sure you are going to continue to get it in this business. 
And <laughs> I really appreciate you joining us today. I really, really love this conversation. Thank you so much, Susan. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs>